normally do this because at the risk of embarrassing someone, but I, I'm going to just start off with a little story <clears throat> that I hadn't really planned on telling, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, and not to embarrass my son and his family. He's back there. But I, I have to tell y'all that uh, when we lived here on Plumtex for 19 years, they were little. They, I don't remember the ages. Linda, you remember ages. What, what age were Rod and Brian and Julie? 7, 10, and 13-ish. They mowed the lawn over there. You know, isn't that a wonderful thing when you get your kids up big enough to do the grass? I mean, that's kind of like, wow, and I saw, the, I saw those others, so his boys doing the grass yesterday. So that's a good thing. But we were, you know, I told y'all, I've told y'all about the, the dietary things that we went through. Um, I don't want to call it a health food kick, but it was, you know, it, I didn't stay with it. And I told you that I found uh, natural vanilla bean uh, Bluebell, natural vanilla bean, and that's what got me started back on, on ice cream, was actually because we were making our own ice cream at that time. We called it Happiness in a Bowl, and it had, um, it had you know, we had honey and all the thing. I mean, we were very, very, very strict. But I was strict protecting them because I didn't want them to be exposed to evil. And I'm, and I'm thankful I would do that again. I don't want, I didn't want my kids to be exposed to evil. But and then, of course, y'all know I did five years with HPD after I came back from Vietnam. So I did five years with HPD, and I thought, well, that was my experience, but my boys will never have to go that. Now, they're about to celebrate 13 in February. Want to be 13 years? 13 years with Bryan Police Department, both of them, both brothers. And all I can say is this. We really, really, really protected them from a lot of evil things. So they've been able to go into this world, the real world where, where people live and people are fighting and people are doing drugs and people are um, uh, drunk and, and uh, violating the law and doing criminal behavior. And they're able to go in there, I believe because of Christ in them, and they're, and they're not... They're not letting the, the dirt. In fact, one of the preachers I used to say, he said, if you take a white glove and you stick it in the mud, you always get mud on the glove. You don't get glove on the mud. Do y'all get that? A white glove, stick it in the mud. You get mud on the glove. You don't get glove on the mud. But they've been able to go into that. And I believe it's because for, for all God's glory. It's uh, because of the character that was developed in them in the early ages and and I'm grateful for that and thankful and I, I feel very confident when I know that there are men out there men and women that are doing a job that really nobody really else wants to do and nobody thinks they get paid enough for what they do and uh, and the risk that they take and so I'm thankful that God prepared them and uh, and did it through it did it through the Word of God and through Christ developing His character in them and that, it's very special, very special to me. Uh, 
to think. So we protected them, and now they've been exposed to so much. They've seen so much. But even they're able, when they're dealing with people, they're able to see, and they've told me, both of them have told me this, they're able to see people that are demon-possessed, uh, that are on drugs and things. They can identify. They see it. They see the uh, demonic activity. So what I want to share today, uh, it's probably not the most comfortable message that I've ever shared. Uh, it is one that God gave me this week. But I really feel, you know, I've kind of been known for telling it like it is and, and saying it straight. And uh, so I just have some things I thought would be important uh, for us to pass along. And I, I wanted to, just by saying, uh, I think with our, our ages now, our age, she's forever young. I'm the one that's aging a little bit. But, but our ages, we are gaining confidence with each passing day in God's Word and what God has promised. And the future doesn't look as scary to us as it did 25, 30 years ago. I mean, we faced a lot of things. I know y'all have heard the stories, but when we first came here, I mean, we... You know, we had 35 people and we were five. We had 35 and we were five. And the first rattle out of the box, we get up and we have this violation of Scripture. I correct it from the pulpit. And then we have about four families leave right off the bat. So now we're just like boom, boom, boom. We're, we're almost down to us four and no more. So with, with experience, watching God, seeing God, Keep his word. We're, we're confident in his character and who God is and, and who he says he is. We're confident in his faithfulness, faithfulness to keep his word, faithfulness in this book. You're not going to find a mistake in this book. Now, we don't all understand everything that's in this book, but you're not going to find a mistake in this book. And so the faithfulness of God and the promises of God when you see the promises and then you live the promises, it really means it's like it's a it's a rhema. It's a rhema that comes when you see it in your head, you read it and you see it in your head. But then when you walk through it, when you walk it and you say what I what I picked up mentally and a read intellectually, but. I'm, I've lived it. And that's what I want to pass along to y'all today is some things that we've lived. Of course, not, not all, of course, but just a couple because we want to be brief and to the point. So the first thing is found, and if you'll turn there, if you will, in uh, Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19. Very simple passage. One that we've all gone to hundreds of times. <clears throat> 419. Y'all there? Here in the pages. And these are just some things I'm just going to pass along. Maybe three things this afternoon that God has taught us. Through his word, intellectually, we've read it, we've understood it, we've believed it, but then we've lived it. 
Okay, I think it I think it really means a lot when you experience it. But my God, verse 19, but my God, and that indicates a personal relationship with him through through faith in Jesus Christ. But my God shall supply all and look it up in the Greek. Check it out. A-L-L. It means all. You can you can look it up in any concordance. All your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That verse promises to believers that our God, our heavenly Father, will, <clears throat> he will provide, he will give us all of our needs. Now, I want to just say our experience has been He's actually gone beyond our needs many, many times. But the promise is not that he's going to promise to give me all my wants. He promises to give me all my needs. My need, singular actually. Our need, not necessarily my wants. I want you to turn to uh, 1 Timothy. Turn over there to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Once you look at something, and I, I've, I've used this verse many, many years ago and hadn't gone to it in a long time. But it's, it's a principle that we need to understand. That when we start talking about God supplying all of our needs, we have to be careful that that we under, and 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 again his mercy his goodness his he just because of who he is he gives more than our needs most of the time i mean we're we're all so blessed in this in this nation but i want to clarify verse 6 and following but verse 6 but god of this with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And look at verse 8. This one's key. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Let us have food and raiment. What is that? Food and what? What is raiment? Food and clothes. And it doesn't mean it's not saying, you know, a huge wardrobe. It's saying the basic needs. God says, and I love that, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You know, I've done a lot of funerals in 47 years. I've done a lot of funerals. And I've, I've not seen one hearse with a U-Haul trailer hooked to it pulling all their worldly goods behind. I have to tell you all this one time. We, we have little sayings in our family like, well, that's like a stirred-up ant bed. Well, we were going through a town, and there was a, a funeral procession going through this town, and somehow they got mixed up on directions, and there must have been 50 cars 
But they were all going different directions, trying to figure out how to get to the cemetery. And it was just like, they're all going like bumper cars going through that little bitty country town. And we, and we said, that looks like a stirred up ant bed. And that's exactly what it looked like. But with content, with godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And, and let me just say this, we have seen personally and so many times people, and I tell my family, I tell my kids, if I had a hint you were going to argue over stuff, I would do my best to make sure that it was disposed of before you got it. Because I don't want I don't want to see any of that stuff used to be to divide a family. And I've seen it happen before. It's just so sad. People get so. In fact, I was the. Um, I, I took care. We had a man come here. He was he was single and uh, Mr. Ernst. And um, he made me the executor of his will. I mean, he didn't have any family. So he made me the executor of his will. Well, he died. And I'm telling you what, people came out of the woodwork that we had never seen, never heard. And they're saying, I gave him that dresser. I gave him that clock. I gave him this. I gave him that. And they were coming out wanting me to turn this stuff over to them. It was crazy. I mean, it was just like a fever pitch. And so we brought nothing into this world. And it's certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment. Let us therewith be content. So contentment with godliness is great gain. It's important to understand. This is what I believe. I believe God says he's going to supply our need. But I think that is categorized by food and raiment. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else is a plus. And we've had many of those all along our way. We've had more than our need. We've had to live on beans and rice. We've had to live on beans and rice. We've not been able to buy all the clothes and all the things and all the automobiles that we wanted along the way. But we've really never gone hungry and we've never gone without clothes and food. But, but in the midst of it, God has done way more than we could ever, ever imagine. Does God give the extras? I believe he even gives the extras. Does he give you the desire of your heart? I think he even gives out of his mercy. He gives the desires of our hearts. But we don't deserve it. And we don't want to be like, you know, I'm somebody special. But I think of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness when they went to Kadesh Barnea. And they were there and they had a decision to make whether to follow God completely and be in the center of God's will and go on into Canaan. But they chose. They voted 10 to 2. They voted not to go in. And they wandered for 40 years. But what happened? Did God leave them during that 40 years of wilderness wandering? No, he didn't leave them. But did they deserve his presence? No, they didn't because they disobeyed. But he still didn't leave them. And that's just the character of God. That's just the God we serve. That's just who he is. That's just his nature. Because I'm going to tell you, if I got everything that I deserved... I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be sorry, I'd be gone. I'd be dead if I got what I deserved. And I think for you too. Because I know, I know a little bit about a lot of you.
But God never left them. He didn't forsake them. Even though, and I want y'all to really think about this, they were in an act of disobedience. Some people have a real hard time with that. They disobeyed God. We know the word of God says they were supposed to go into Canaan. They were supposed to obey God, but they didn't obey God. They wandered for 40 years. But did he leave them? No. But you know what he did? He provided miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Quail, manna, water. I mean, just it was water was bitter. He made it sweet. I'm telling you, God just did wonderful miracles. And what did Israel do? What did Israel do? What were they doing? They were murmuring and complaining. And they were saying, you know, what? Three, wasn't it three days after they crossed the Red Sea? Three days. They're murmuring and complaining. And they'd just been singing Moses' song is what it's called in the Bible. They were just singing Moses' song. And they, they're murmuring and complaining. And they're saying, let's pick another captain and go back. This blows my mind. I have a hard time. They had been in bondage for 400 years. We're talking hard labor. The Egyptians increased it, made it harder, made it tougher, made it longer hours, made it more difficult. And they said, as they crossed the Red Sea, saw one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. And they get over there and three days later, they're saying, let's get another captain and go back into bondage. I just don't, I just don't even get it. That's, that's the human beings that we live with and the, that's the way people think. Kind of blows your mind a little bit. But he never left them. That's just who God is. So <clears throat> I could go on and on. We have so many stories. I can't even begin to tell them all. I, I mentioned, I alluded to one this morning. But... I'm telling you, when I left HPD in 1975, we went to our first church and it was $100 a week. And, we, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And God still provided. And then while we were there, while we were there, people were ready for me to go. I mean, they were ready for me to go before I'd even reached 18 months. They were ready. And so they started, and this is the truth, this is the honest truth. At Riesel Baptist Church, they started tithing, designating their tithe to the electric bill. And that way it wouldn't go to the pastor's salary. Now, I'm serious. That's, that's what they were doing. They, they couldn't run me out of town, so they were going to starve me out of town. And you know what happened? This is amazing. Without any newsletter going out and telling people we had, we had kids and we had a need, without anything going out, money started coming in to us. And we were able to stay. So, and that's just a sample. That is just a little sample of what we've observed. God says he will supply your need. And over and over and over and over and over again, We've not only read it, we've not only intellectually agreed to it, but we've lived it because God has been faithful to keep his word. So I have a second point. I have a second point that God, God has really driven home to us 
And he did, he started it because, as I said, I've pastored five churches and, and these little country churches, you can't imagine what it's like in the little country church. I mean, they're kind of related, people are related. They know everything about everybody. And uh, it's just not like a church like North Belt or a church in the city. It's just not. It's out in the country. And, uh, and, the, and a lot of the ways are different. People are just brought up different. They've got different ways of thinking. And so when we went to the country church, we went there and we started seeing a struggle. And the church was not doing well. And so then I went to my second pastorate, Peoria Baptist Church, and it, that was the church that uh, the young man, um, there was, they, he was living in a home. He was kind of like he, his parents, I forgot the story completely about him, but he was living with this family. And this family had a girl, a daughter, and the, the parents that let him move in with them decided that he ought to marry their daughter. I mean, that was that he just decided they were he was living there, but they decided they picked him out and said, well, you just need to go ahead and marry our daughter. Now, what would you do? We were we were living in Hillsborough, Texas at the time in the church of Peoria. And this young man calls me up and makes an appointment. And he came to our house and sat down in my living room and said. They're making me do this. I do not want to marry this girl, but they're forcing me to marry her. And I said, well, that's it. I, I can't be a part of that wedding. Well, then guess what? He went back home, told them that he had been to the pastor's house. And then they told me, called me a bunch of names, said, you call yourself a preacher. You know, and then he changed his story. They put pressure on him and he changed his story and he decided, okay, now I've decided I am going to marry her. Well, I knew, I knew he had, he had, they had forced him to change his story. So I still stood my ground and I would not marry, I would not do that wedding because I didn't believe. He had looked me in the eye and said, I do not love this girl. They are making me marry her. And so... The church, it was just an uproar, just a battle. And I was going to seminary at the time, Southwestern, going back and forth. And uh, it was just a battle. So God was taking me deep unto deep and showing me some things. And so God took me to a verse, and I'll, uh, it's found in Matthew, Matthew 16, if you'd like to turn there. Matthew 16. And these are things that God, I'm just telling y'all some things this afternoon that God has shown us firsthand. We've lived out as we've agonized and had struggles and uh, churches with issues and problems and people and not liking the decisions you make and not liking what you do. In verse 17 and 18 of Matthew 16, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, 
And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I have that highlighted in my Bible, my church. Whose church is it? Is it God's church or is it our church? It's God's church. Do you notice the sign? Did anybody pay attention to the sign that we have out there for all these years? North Belt Baptist Church, God's church. That's where that came from. Because, and I, how many of you have ever heard Ron Dunn? Do y'all know Ron Dunn? Ron Dunn, powerful preacher. Powerful preacher. He said, I was listening to him, and he was saying, you know, he was in his office one day, and the church was struggling, and people were leaving, and he said, you know, what are we going to do? I, I just don't know how to salvage this situation. And, and he said, God showed him this verse and said to him, well, why don't you quit trying? Because this is not your church. This is my church. And Ron, the way he told it, he kind of pushed himself back from the desk and, and kicked back a little bit. And he said, now, wait a minute, God. Are you trying to tell me this is your church and it's not my church? And he said, that's what God said. It's my church. It's my church. And he said, that was the most freeing thing. It was such a freeing thing to realize this is not my church. And you know what the scripture, it goes on to talk about that it's up to God. In fact, I'm going to turn there. First Corinthians chapter three. God gives the increase, some water, some plant, but God, it's God who gives the increase. First Corinthians chapter three. It's God who gives the increase. It's his church. And little Baptist churches out there in the country, they had a hard, hard time with that concept. They really did. They had a hard time because they really, they really felt like they owned it. It was, it was theirs. And if you were an outsider, especially an outside preacher coming in, that's why the Riesel why Riesel had in a in hundred years, they had 48 preachers in a hundred years. They had a record of a hundred years in, in, uh, in existence. They had 48 preachers because anybody that came in and had any ideas or any uh, innovative plan to make any kind of change, they didn't want it. And, you know, I had a seminary professor tell me this, tell us the whole class, wasn't just me. He said, some of those country churches are small for a reason. They're small for a reason because they don't, they don't want to grow. They don't want to see new faces. They don't want to see uh, people say because it would change the dynamics of the church. It would change it because then though that little group that's been in control and what it boils down to so much of the time is really a power struggle. And I've seen those and some of you shared even some of your experiences. You've seen the power struggle that exists and sometimes in churches. But we've got to remember it's God's church. It's not our church. It's up to him to cause the increase. It's up to him to accomplish, and I've seen him do this, and I just want to say to you, nobody likes to see anybody leave the church, but we have seen in this church since 1986, 
we've seen God do a pruning from time to time. Now, anybody, any of y'all do roses? Anybody know anything about roses? I know Leah does. You know a little bit about roses. I know my wife does. What happens in February normally? Most people prune their roses. And have you ever noticed some of them you have to prune them back more severely? And some of them you don't prune back as much. So it's really up to God if you have the idea and the, and the truth that, that it's God's church and God's in charge. He's going to be the one to give the increase. He's the one that takes care of the pruning. And you just have to trust him that he knows what he's doing. So, so that, that's the second thing. First is God's going to supply our need. And the second thing is it's God's church anyway. We need to recognize that and we need to embrace that. We need to accept that it's God's church, not just North Bell. I'm talking about the church. It's God's church. And a lot of us don't like what's going on in the, in the mega churches and the, you know, the uh, commercial, the, the, uh, we're hearing more and more about the dim lights and the, and the strobes and all this stuff that's going on. That, that they're just using those means to try to attract more people. But if these people aren't really genuinely being saved, they're just attracting carnal, lost people. And so thirdly, then I want to issue what I would consider a serious warning and that we would all need to take heed. In 1 Corinthians, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read it and then we'll look at some other verses real quickly. And this describes a lot of different things. And so there's a lot of messages all wrapped up in this, these passages. Verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. In other words, you've got spiritual, you've got lost, you've got carnal. Carnal are people that are saved but living like mere men. I couldn't speak to you uh, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you. Now look at the words, the choice of words here. I have fed you with milk, not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able to bear it. In other words, he said, I wanted to give you meat, but I couldn't give you meat. All you could take was milk. You're just not able to, to bear it. You're not able to digest it. So I couldn't give you meat. I just had to give you milk. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you... Now, this is, the, this is a description of carnality in your typical church. This is the description, and I would hope that we could recognize it for what it is, and we would be aware. This is the Bible describing a carnal church. For ye are not yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, envy, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God 
gave the increase. So neither, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now I want to go into the rest of this where it talks about God's building and the foundation. For we are, co are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereupon, thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if a man, any man, build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every one's work of what sort it is. Now, we understand, it's very clear, the foundation of this building that Paul is referring to is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you, to be saved, to have the foundation, you have to be born again and know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. So that is solid, that is fixed, that is permanent. But on that foundation... There goes materials. And these materials will be tested, the scripture says, as by fire. So you've got gold, silver, and precious stones. Then you have wood, hay, and stubble. Now when you set fire to gold, silver, precious stone, guess what? They remain, and there's reward for that. But when you have wood, hay, and stubble, and you have this intense fire that turns to ashes. And you have nothing, you have nothing, there's no reward, nothing. You just have the foundation. If any man's work abide, verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So if you you're, if you built on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, you've lived your life, in obedience to the word of God, then you have built your life with gold, silver, precious stone. And when God's fire tested, it remains and you have rewards for that. If any man's work, verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned. Now you've got your foundation. Now you're talking about a man that built with wood, hay and stubble. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, we've had several discussions, a lot of people, you know, debate this verse and the idea behind it. But I really believe with all of my heart that if a person has been genuinely born again, You've been saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you can build from that, from that foundation. You can build on that foundation a type of life. 
And it can be a life of gold, silver, precious stone, or it can be a life of wood, hay, and stubble. And when God's all-consuming fire tests not to see if we're saved, because we're saved, that's the foundation. But what's on the foundation? And if it remains, the scripture says you have rewards for that. And if it is burned up, you suffer loss. Not a loss of salvation, but you have no rewards at the Bema seat of Christ. Now, my warning, my concern is that there are folks that know better. They know the scripture. And I believe because of the satanic activity in certain one's lives, I believe they're building on the foundation wood, hay, and stubble. And I believe the Bible is very clear. When tested by fire, God's fire, they're going to be surprised one day. They think they've really been doing God's work, but it's going to be their suffering loss. And I'm concerned about that. I have a couple of verses I want to remind you of. One is very familiar, and a couple are not quite as familiar, possibly. So if you would turn back into uh, Proverbs. Proverbs. I mean, either we believe the Word of God or we don't. Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And this is just what God says. Verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. He doesn't say he likes it. He says he hates it. He says he hates it. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, pride. We know how, how terrible pride is. It's a terrible sin. A proud look, a lying tongue. We should all learn to tell the truth. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. I always think of babies that are aborted. I always think, every time I read that, I think of aborted babies. You can't get any more innocent than a baby in the womb. Hands that shed innocent blood. God says he hates it. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations and feet that be swift and running to mischief. A false witness. Somebody's telling false things about another person. A false witness. God says he hates it. False witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. He that soweth discord among brethren. You know, I've been in the ministry a long time, and I've preached a lot of sermons about the harm, the tragedy of sowing discord among brethren. I preached and preached and preached against that. I preached a lot of sermons about unity in the body of Christ. Satan's plan, his, his one main, and my wife and I were talking about that this week. His one, he's got a few little tactics out there, but his one main tactic, and if you'll be alert and observe and watch, you'll see it. His one main tactic is divide 
and conquer. Divide and conquer. He does it in a family. Husband and wife, divide and conquer. He does it with fathers and mothers and children. Divide and conquer. And he does it in churches. Divide and conquer. He does it in nations. You know, people, this is crazy. They're, they're talking, they're saying things like civil war and all this stuff. I mean, divide and conquer. The devil is out to divide and conquer. And we ought to recognize it. We shouldn't aid and abet the enemy. You know, in a wartime, if you started giving aid to the enemy, what it would be like? What would happen, Dick? If you, if you committed treason and you started giving the enemy aid, what would happen? Firing squad. Firing squad. You'd have to pay with your life. And so we need to recognize that as believers, we don't need to participate in activity that's giving the devil a helping hand. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't be a part of that. I want to read a verse, and I haven't really read this one out loud many, many times, but I want to read it to you. And I think, I think Keith Daniel preached, he had a powerful sermon. In fact, somebody reminded me of this sermon uh, called something like The Devil Uses a Whisperer or something. Um, here's the verse, it's verse 28 of chapter 16. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Now, I want to have to tell you, because I'm the pastor of this church, and I have to tell you, in the last three weeks, I've had two separate individuals in this congregation name the same person, and they referred to this person as a whisperer. Two separate conversations... Two separate individuals came to me and told me there's an individual out there, a former member, that's a whisperer. So I'm just telling you folks, we, we as the church, we need to be alert. We need to be aware of the sa Satan's activities and his plans. We shouldn't be deceived. But... A whisper separateth chief friends. And then 17.9, let me read that one for you. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. You've got two ideas here. One is a whisper separating chief friends, and somebody that's repeating a matter is separating very friends. I'm just going to tell you, it's divide and conquer. We need to be alert. We need to be aware of what's going on with Satan and his demons. And I don't know about you, but uh, and my wife and I looked up a ton of verses on God is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Over and over, Psalm 20, or 62, 6 and 7, Psalm 34, 13, Psalm 56, 1 and following, Psalm 59, 9 and 6, Psalm 60, verse 12, Psalm 94, 22. The Lord is my defense, 
And you and I need to come to that conclusion today that we don't have to defend ourselves, the Lord. And I think it's a wonderful place to be when you can honestly say with a, a confident heart, God is my defense. I shall, he's my rock. I shall not be moved. And I like what you said at, uh, in the gym over there. I'm waiting on the Lord. And if you're willing to wait, God opens doors. You have to make sure that when you walk through it, that, you, that he opened it and we didn't kick it open, right? <laughs> but it's powerful. It's a powerful way to live when you can understand that he's my rock, he's my defense. It's his church. He's going to supply the need. And you can just rest in these, these truths, these promises, and you can, as a family... As a family, you can gather together with your little kids and you can say, listen, these are things, these are truths from God's word. He's promised to supply all our needs. It's his church. He's my rock. He's my defense. I'm not going to be moved. Amen. And you could almost shout. Always. Always. Let's have prayer. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to you for your goodness and your mercy and the truths that you've taught us all these years and how we've been able to not only just read them in our minds and understand them with our head, but we've actually lived them with our lives. We've seen you provide. We've seen you provide manna. We've seen you provide water. We've seen you provide when it was impossible Father, we just are very grateful to you. We're confident in you, not in our own strength, not in our abilities, not in anything that we're able to do. We're confident in who you are and that you will take care of your church. We are confident that if there are those out there that are whisperers, and they're trying to separate chief friends, that you'll deal with them in your timing. And we'll just trust you. We'll trust you because you're our rock and our salvation. And we're not afraid what man shall do to me. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your mercy, your love, and your grace. Thank you for this day, for all those that could attend. Thank you for those at family camp. Pray your blessings on them. They'd learn a lot, be able to put it into practice. Pray now that you just bring honor and glory to yourself. Give us safety as we travel this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen.